You're listening to the Inbound Logistics Podcast with today's guests, Brian Mentz and Dan Sanker of Hub Group. In the middle of an unstable industry landscape, companies continue to seek different solutions to find stable ground for themselves and their customers. What can suppliers and retailers do to better position their supply chains to alleviate climate volatility? Brian Mentz and Dan Sanker of Hub Group discuss what they're seeing and how the retail sector is and should be responding. Joining me today, Executive Vice President of Account Management Sales and Marketing, Brian Mentz, and Founder and President of K-Stack Retail Supplier Solutions, Dan Sanker, both from Hub Group. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining the Inbound Logistics Podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Gentlemen, before we get started, I want to get an introduction from each of you uh, for our audience, if you could. Uh, Just a little bit about you, your background in the industry, and what you're currently doing with Hub Group today. Uh, Brian, I'll ask you to start, please. Yeah, my name is uh, Brian Mintz. So I've been with Hub Group for uh, 11 years now. I've held a, a variety of different positions within the organization, primarily on the commercial side. My, my current responsibilities include account management, marketing, and oversight of our, our commercial sales organization. So in my current role, really responsible for the customer experience, you know, from a, a daily execution standpoint in our frontline account management team, and then also commercial responsibilities and go-to-market strategy. Great. And Dan, you? Sure. Um, Dan Sanker. I was actually the founder of K-Stack. It's been about 20 years ago that I started K-Stack, and I ran K-Stack and still run the K-Stack component of Hub Group now. And it was about almost two years ago when the two companies got together and Hub acquired K-Stack. And um, I previously had been involved working at CPG companies and other companies like Procter & Gamble and Kashi and others. Great. Now, uh, we're living in some unprecedented times right now. So uh, can uh, you guys tell me what do you feel is the current state of the supply chain, given everything that's going on? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in and take this one. So I, I would say that right now, uh, the current state of the supply chain is is evolving faster than ever, right? If it wasn't already going fast enough, I think... Uh, with what we're experiencing through the pandemic, it's it, it's sped it up that you know even that much more. Um, kind of from a long-term perspective, I think we were in the midst of this transition um, and, and evolution in the supply chain with consumer demand increasing and and really that drive towards efficiency and visibility becoming more prominent than ever in the, in the supply chain. Um, and then you know you couple that with what we've seen in the near term. Um, with, with the pandemic and, uh, you know, really consumer spending habits starting to change. There's less money uh, going towards, you know, from a disposable income perspective, going towards experiences. People are buying more for the homes. And then, you know, from an inventory perspective, I would say that we've, we've really, you know, um, retailers are starting to replenish their supply chain. They've had a bunch of inventory stuck on the West Coast for, for a number of months now that is being injected back into the supply chain. Um, you couple that with imports coming back, uh, consumer demand being high from, uh, you know, the increased purchases, uh, and, and then, you know, the regular ramping up of, of retail peak season. Um, so all of this kind of is coming together uh, and creating quite the phenomenon in, in the supply chain. I think 
Um, in addition to what we're seeing, you know, right now from a demand perspective, I think this also uh, is, is very much going to be a long-term impact though, uh, as, as well. Um, you know, consumers, um, while, while this pandemic is near term, I think consumer spending habits um, are, are going to change for the long term. Right? And this has just escalated it. So for us, um, you know, it's, it's important that we're, um, you know, staying up with those trends and, and providing our customers with the right solutions. So from a technology investment perspective and an M&A perspective, we're very much looking at that and uh, focusing on making the right investments to increase um, what we can bring to market in terms of solutions. Great. Dan, do you have any uh, input for that? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that... Um to add on to some of the things that Brian said, I think to some extent when, you know, when I started KSAC 20 years ago, a lot of the trends had just been sort of little sprouts budding. And I think recently in this year alone, we've accelerated a lot of trends. I think you see that with a lot of industries now where the things that have been going on for decades just got accelerated into weeks and months to move forward. So when we started you know, supply chain digitization was, was obviously becoming a thing, but it just had started. And then you saw this current situation happen and things have moved forward aggressively. You see, basically, everybody's supply chain is in the cloud. You've got omni-channel supply chains that are now completely normal. And I don't think that was the case 10 years ago or five years ago. It was separate channels and they were looked at differently. Now they're become, they're merging. So that's moving forward. You see, uh, I definitely, when, when I moved out from Southern California to Northwest Arkansas back in 2007, one of the reasons I came out was the sustainability initiative and you've seen sustainability. So think back that's 2007 when it was really just a, a, a confusing term for people. It isn't really anymore because it's become inherent in the supply chain. So when you think about what K-Stack's focused on is a lot of um, consolidation, so less trucks on the road. What the larger company is focused on a lot is similarly, how do we build sustainability into uh, an entire supply chain? So it could be anything from importing uh, you know, across an ocean to the intermodal as, a, as an option instead of transportation on trucks, which help. And then you've got, you know, those things have moved forward aggressively. You've got circular supply chains where people actually think about what happens if products have to actually go the other direction. Agile supply chains that are moving really quickly. Um, and people take, you know, shorter delivery windows, which we're going to talk more about. Um, Internet of things in the warehouses that we run and on the trucks. Those trends, big data analytics that we've all talked about for a really long time. But finally, we've gotten to the point where companies that do what we do, as well as all of our clients, have to really take a look at data and determine what's going to happen tomorrow as best they can with the data, but also a, a really great understanding, finally, of big data is not a replacement for human thought in any way. Big data is another thing, and it's a, it's an, an, it augments what our abilities are. So you've really seen that move forward. You're starting to see more AI and machine learning that's getting accelerated similarly and that we need all that now so that we can be a little bit more predictive and prescriptive to figure out, okay, what's happening and what are we going to do differently tomorrow because of these things that are happening? And these days, it's we were talking just before this and 
you know, every morning we wake up to a news item that's just dramatic. So whether it's industry specific, which it is, those are dramatic too, uh, but also just globally dramatic changes in uh, what all of our clients and the retailers that we work with have to manage through. Yeah. Well, speaking of those retailers, what has been your assessment on how they're adjusting to the current climate? Well, to some extent, this is Dan, to some extent, um, I think retailers are, again, moving forward more quickly with things they had been either aggressively working to, to build or have where some of them are just dabbling in. And now they've, it's, it's driven the point home that we quick, quickly have to, to build resilient supply chains that can handle the shocks that should just be considered part of what we do in logistics and supply chain. And then on the, on the customer facing side, that's how do you build a supply chain that is truly omni-channel as opposed to there's a little piece of e-commerce over here and there's a little piece of bricks and mortar over here. They're not really that related. That's gone. And I think what you've seen is this acceleration of that. So how does that, you know, that from a customer-facing standpoint, I think customers or consumers are really used to that. We all understand how that works. In the back end, though, there's all these things that have to happen to, you know, reorganize how you do, you know, replenishment and ordering and managing uh, categories and all the things that feed both or all the omni-channel. And then you take a step behind that even more. And it's how do you get product efficiently, on time, in full, and all the things that are you know relevant for making sure the product is where the consumers want it at the lowest possible cost. Brian, what about you? Do you have any uh, additional thoughts on that? Yeah, I, would, I, I mean, you know, all, all I think very solid points. I would say that you know, from a retail perspective, really with the current climate, I mean, I think retailers are just doing anything and everything to get product on the shelf and available for their customers, um, you know, whether it be brick and mortar on the shelf or, or, you know, in, in a, in a distribution center for, uh, e-commerce availability. I think, you know, I've talked to a number of different retailers and right now they're all saying that their sales inventory ratio has never been, uh, as low as it has been now. Uh, I think that speaks to some of my earlier points too, about, uh, what we're seeing in terms of the dynamic on the West coast, um, you know, increased inventory replenishment, um, increased in, in, in imports, but then also, you know, just the overall increased demand uh, from consumers with, with their disposable income going more towards household goods. Um, you know, I, I think that this is a, a, a long-term trend, too. Um, I, I think that, uh, um, you know, from a, a retail perspective, uh, more people are, are, you know, ever more people that are, are, are ordering online and, uh, you know, retailers now have to solve this puzzle of, of where do I put my inventory to get it close to the consumer while also controlling my costs. And, and I think that that's something that, um, you know, now more than ever is, is top of mind. How do I, how do I first and foremost get the product to my customers and make sure that I have product available? Um, the last thing you want is someone to go into one of your brick and mortar stores and not have, not have an item available or not have an out of stock and then order it through a, a separate e-commerce channel. Um, but then also, you know, how do you do that in an effective and cost, a, a cost-effective and timely manner from a, an inventory uh, replenishment perspective? Those are some great points. Um, in terms of uh, being an agile and resilient supply chain in the future, what do you think are some other keys that they should focus on? 
Yeah, I think this is Dan. I think uh, as far as at agility in the supply chain goes, um, I think we there's clearly we see we've seen shocks in the supply chain ever since we've all done this. So that happens, and that's something that everybody needs to be ready for. So in this particular time, which is the big one, clearly, uh, we saw that international shipments. You know, I can some of the stuff you can relate to. You know, I the mountain bike. So tried to get a bike you can't get they couldn't get parts to build bikes so you'd go to walmart and see an entire empty aisle of bicycles up until i think still they're not full and then just yesterday the bike shop got bikes in from uh boxes are labeled cambodia so what happened that woke everybody up and that's not a essential service by any stretch uh unless you're really into biking but um what we saw was you can't really rely on this multifaceted, multi-country, multi-region supply chain that has to be really, really fast to build something as simple or you know non-essential as a bike, uh, because you, what people didn't realize, I think, was each of the parts of that bike are critical to making it a bike. So without each part, you can't run the factories, and you can't make the bikes, and you can't ship them. And then you miss out on an entire season and an entire industry can't function. So it doesn't mean that you can't, you know, buy things in different countries to maximize profitability. It just means that when you take a look at a resilient supply chain, every component of everything needs to have a backup. And that I think will trickle through the whole supply chain and we'll see that, you know, even things that aren't international, you're going to want to have backup plans every part of your supply chain because you realize the impact of what wouldn't have seemed if you if you just had heard about it you wouldn't have thought it would have been so dramatic but if you're missing one small piece you can't run the business so that's way up the supply chain and then when you look forward if you're a retailer and you've got an entire aisle of products again non-essential it's even worse when it's essentials and we saw that too we saw the fact that frankly it took six months to get you know, to the point where now you'll walk into a, a pharmacy, drugstore, retailer of most kinds, and you'll see a, an area that has, you know, masks and sanitizer and stuff like that. And it was, you know, mystifying to most people as to why you couldn't get those products for seven months or six, seven months. So clearly that's an indication that we did not build the, 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 as a country, as a world, really, we didn't have resilient, agile supply chains. We had low cost supply chains, which are critical. And there's really not a reason why you can't have a low cost supply chain that's also resilient. It just means that you have to be very thoughtful in how you develop your supply chain so that, you know, products, if something fails, you need an alternative and you also need it to work quickly and you need it to be inexpensive. So it's not easy for the industry to manage, but it is what we all do. So it's not, uh, you know, completely out of the question. It's doable. Brian, your thoughts. Yeah, I think Dan makes some great points. I think, you know, that redundancy piece is, is becoming more and more, um, you know, important and I think top of mind based on on what we've seen, especially in this near term with with the pandemic. I think it's it's opened up a lot of eyes. Um, you know, with within with supply chain professionals and how do how do I adjust my supply chain so that I can um, have those redundancies, but also not have all of that cost, right? I mean, I think that 
we've, you know, we, we, we go through cycles within transportation and, you know, there's, there's times when demand is, is strong and supply is tight and, and, and other times when, when demand isn't as strong and supply is plentiful. And, uh, you know, that, that creates, um, a lot of ebbs and flows within, within purchasing behaviors from a, a transportation perspective. But, you know, with this most recent dynamic that we've seen, I, I think that, uh, um, you know, supply chain professionals are looking at, okay, well, how do I, how do I balance those two going forward so that I'm not always swinging one way or the other? And I think that's about how they set up their transportation and distribution network. I think they have to become more creative. I think they have to work with partners who can supply more than just a single mode of transportation. I think that's where a lot of our investment has been put. You know, how do we how do we go to market not just as an intermodal company or not just as a logistics uh, company or not just as a as a brokerage uh, provider, but how do we really go to market with all of those services? And then how do we 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 couple those with what our customers are doing? I think you're seeing on the retail side, um, a lot of retailers doing some really creative things with using their brick and mortar infrastructure um, to support final distribution on e-commerce goods. I think that's a a fantastic idea. Um, But at the same time, you know, how much inventory can you really hold at a store? Uh, You know, and so um, what makes the most sense in terms of positioning uh, of of your your supply um, to have a, a, a low cost solution, but also one that's going to reach your your target market. And, and and again, to my earlier point about having that product availability, I think that's more important than ever. Um, there are options for consumers out there, and if you don't have what they want when they want it, they're going to go somewhere else. And if they go somewhere else and find a better experience, they may re- never come back. And that that certainly is something that that retailers want to avoid. So we, you know. One of our big focuses is how can we how can we work with our retail partners um, and our customers to help develop out what that supply chain looks like and and put in those redundancies uh, where they where they make sense in those contingency plans, um, but you know do it to a point where you're not you're not uh, spending too much money and, and and overdoing it from a cost perspective. So there's a balance there. Um, there's no one size fits all answer. I, I would say I think each client is unique in the way that they go to market and the way that they reach their customers. And so I think, you know, really thinking through those different things and and how this, you know, near-term pandemic is going to change the long-term environment of consumer spending habits and, and, and distribution is, is something that, uh, you know, everyone's thinking about right now. And certainly we are uh, as an organization as well. And how do we bring the solutions to our customers? Right. Uh, Dan, I think you brought up omni-channel uh, fulfillment earlier. Um, some retailers like Walmart, uh, have invested in that particular service, like like click and collect. How have uh, those initiatives uh, impacted uh, Hub Group's retail operations? Sure, this is Dan. Um, well, across the board, you know, the retailers are at the front line typically in dealing with consumers. So consumers sort of decide what's going to happen next all the time. So as the consumers change what they're doing, retailers have to change what they're doing, and then the entire supply chain has to change in order to address that. So things that, um, if you're a retailer now, just to take a step back, I mean, what, what are you taking a look at now? You're taking a look at, hey, I'm going to come out of this, this situation that we're in now, and I got to look at what is the difference, is my customer even the same animal it was before? So, you know, before the, the crisis happened, a customer had expectations and needs and did certain things. There were certain behaviors and they had certain priorities. Well, those are going to change, maybe. And each retailer has to deal with what that means. And the consumer packaged goods companies have to 
also deal with that mean? Is your brand still the same, as have the same relevance and the value proposition is the same? Does the product change? I heard uh, the CEO of Kellogg speak, and one of the things that you know was interesting is that as this all hit, you know, in the past, back to school was a big deal and we had to all prepare for back to school and it went all the way up to a Kellogg factory, a plant that had to figure out, you know, how do I make all these on the go snacks for back to school? Well, things have changed a little bit and now you have to think, well, how do I make all these uh, on the go products for some of the people who are going back to school? And then how do I make all the other things that are for families to sit down at a table in the morning because they're not going on a yellow bus and going back to school. So it changes the product mix and that ripples through the whole supply chain. And then of course, again, back to the omni-channel concept, you've got the stores. So are the stores, to Brian's point as well, do the stores make sense to be what they were before? Well, a lot of people aren't coming in the stores. So you've got retailers who are doing pickup services and you've got consumers that some of them may never return to grocery shopping the way they used to do it. So then when you go up the supply chain and to the back of the supply chain, you go, well, what do we have to do differently to make this all possible so this can all happen? Well, one of the things that recently came up is tightening the windows and making sure that products are on time and in full. So, uh, you know, Walmart had the recent announcement with a 98% from an 87% uh, on time in full. And that's pretty dramatic for the entire supply chain and other retailers are similarly having to address that because they have to face consumers in a completely different way. And as a result, they need to be faster and have cost control uh, and have the products that people want in the right places. So again, that's going to ripple through the entire supply chain. So what does it mean for all of us is that we have to make sure that everything is always on time. Uh, and again, resilient and agile. So there are backup plans for things that might go wrong or do go wrong. And you can use some predictive analytics to figure out what you're seeing. So you can take a look at the entire fleet and say, well, where is everything today? Where is it supposed to be tomorrow? Does it actually make sense based on the data that that's going to actually happen the way it's supposed to or not? And if it's not going to happen, you got to change course immediately so that you're in front of that. So that's a pretty big change, but it's not unheard of. It's the same kind of thing we did prior with other events that have happened. This one was just accelerated bigger and moved all those trends that we have seen much more quickly forward. Brian, do you have anything to add to that? I think, you know, again, it just speaks to the expectations of, um, you know, ultimately it comes down to the expectations of, you know, folks like us and and, and consumers, right? And and when I order something, um, you know, at, at one point in time, I would think if it could get to my doorstep in three days, then, yeah, it's pretty good. Or, or if I went to the store and something was out and I, I you know, I could uh, come back next week and it would be there, you know, I'd be okay with that. But that, that, that no longer is the case. You know, when I order something and if it's, if it's something that's not going to be there the next day, you know, I'm disappointed. Right. You know, so, so as consumers, our, our behavior has changed and, and they are putting that pressure back on, you know, the retailers that they, that they are spending their money with. And therefore you're seeing retailers turn around and, and put that pressure back on their vendors and their supply chain to say, okay, well, this is what our consumers are expecting. If I don't deliver this, then they're going to go elsewhere. 
and and which is exactly why you're seeing um, you know, retailers like Walmart put these heightened expectations on their on their vendors to get the product to them so that they can they can turn around and get that to their customers. And, and you know, 98 percent um, certainly is probably a scary thing to a lot of those vendors because you know you're talking about vendors with smaller supply chains and uh, you know where I think Dan and his group at KStack really come into play is being able to help. Um, take a lot of those smaller shippers, you know, put their inventory and build plans for redundancies and, 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 and put that in place for them so that they don't have to invest all of that capital, but give them a distribution arm that allows them to actually be able to achieve that 98% on time and have that faster speed um, to, to their con- customers, which which are, are, are the retailers. And I think that, um, you know, Walmart's probably not alone in, in what they're doing. And, I, you know, I've certainly heard it from our other retailers. Um, they're putting a lot of pressure on their vendors to get product faster. Um, if they don't, again, if they don't have that product, um, then, the, then the consumers are going to go elsewhere. So I think this is just the, the, the tip of the iceberg in terms of the trend that we're going to see. And those expectations are higher than ever. And I think, um, you know, by being able to develop a solution that gets that product to market faster, um, you can't do that unless you have that product staged and ready. Um, and, you know, you can't do that without the visibility and the technology that goes behind that. So that's why I think while we were already on this push for for um, enhanced technology in the industry, an industry that, you know, historically has probably been 10 years behind the curve from a technology perspective, that's that's more than caught up. And I think, uh, you know, even more and more pressure to, to get ahead of the curve from a technology perspective and the supply chain, just for those reasons, that's, you know, that that's where the money is being spent. The, the retailers are, um, you know, looking for that next best thing. And how do I service the customer better than my, my competition? And, um, you know, technology right now is really the driver of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, vendors, shippers, retailers, collaboration has always been a staple for hub group. How has that diverse network of providers really helped you guys during uh, what has been a strange 2020? Yeah, this is Brian. I'll, I'll take that one. It, it's it, it certainly has been a strange 2020. I, and I think you know from uh, we we have a, a great group of providers. We really do. And I think for us, it's um, you know just just like you know when we stick by our our best customers, it's you know um, in in times of uh, of need, especially through the pandemic, you know, making sure that we were keeping them as busy as we could, um, and, and, uh, supporting them with freight. Um, you know, we're obviously investing in our own capacity and our own drivers. Um, and, and I think that really those, those long-term relationships that we have built, um, uh, w- with our various vendors uh, of all kinds have, have really allowed us to be successful. Um, I think Dan can probably speak a little bit to, uh, you know, his side of the world, um, with, with where we're seeing, uh, you know, from a, um, a warehousing perspective and distribution perspective with how, how much they've really stepped up for us. But I think by, by being such, uh, you know, a, a loyal um, provider to them and, and uh, loyal customer, we've, we've really positioned ourselves to, to do well and, and, and flex up. And, and uh, you know, again, Dan can speak to this with some of the warehousing um, component, but by increasing our inventory needs, you know, we've, we're, we're really kind of the, their priority they'll kick other people out to give us space so i think that's you know to, to us our carriers are are more important than ever um and and i think that that holds true too to right to to our customers i mean customers that have been loyal to us and we've worked with for many years um you know we collapse around them and and i think that that's a that's a good thing dan you want to jump in there with some thoughts 
Yeah, this is Dan. Um, the the collaboration element, I think, is has been the key. I think that collaboration is the differentiator that is going to make some companies make it through this in a positive way, and some of them won't because they're not able to collaborate. And it isn't just the simple working together. It really is trying to sit down and take some risks to say, hey, these are the things I can do well. These are the things that you can do well. How do we work together to make one and one equal more than two? And these concepts that we're throwing around, like resilience or agility or being more on time, those are things that cost money in a traditional model when everyone's working against each other and competing with each other. But when you move to a more collaborative model, in some respects, all those things like resilience and agility, they become cost neutral or even positive uh, things that can create positives financially for all of the providers. Because when everybody's really good at working together in a collaborative way and they can share you know, their long-term plans and their short-term plans and their short-term and long-term Maybe they've got some constraints they have to deal with, and they're willing to open it up and say, hey, these are things that we're dealing with. These are things that we have opportunities on. And you can pretty quickly move to address new obstacles or problems that come up or these challenges that come up that we've just seen in the market. So as we've all been doing for many years, collaboration has been sort of the key to everything we've done. And um, what that means is that you know, as this was happening, warehousing, Brian brought up the warehousing element, you know, warehousing has been really challenging and we've had some clients that haven't been able to even make it through this because they couldn't manage their own warehousing. So for us, you know, we worked very closely with everyone involved and we tried to understand the understanding of the constraints, the issues and the challenges that we're all facing right now. And you know, think about, well, how do we, what do we do together so that we can come out ahead on us and so that our customers can come out in a better place. And each of our customers individually, they've got so many competing uh, agendas that they have to manage. So if we can take off the supply chain issues and logistics issues and say, well, that's our job. You'll be on time. Product will be delivered. And our costs will be in line. And when we can do that, you know, when either a, you know, you know, century, once a century issue comes up, that's terrible. We can manage through it. And uh, when smaller issues come up, we can manage through them. So, uh, or when just an on-time issue, like you've got retailers that are trying to achieve these on-time goals that are much more challenging for a lot of companies. Um, but necessary because that's the way the consumer wants things done now. So the consumer's in charge, the consumer's the boss, and that trickles back up to all of us. Well, speaking of those challenges then, uh, operationally, what uh, have been uh, some of the uh, points that Hub Group has focused on to navigate uh, COVID-19? Yeah, this is uh, this is Brian. I can I can take this one. Um, you know, I would say there, there's a couple things. Like first and foremost, it's about continuing to deliver service to our customers, right? They, um, w- w- with all of the change that has gone on, you know, our our, our customers, uh, and especially now more than ever with the demand that they're seeing, 
um, you know, expect from us the same levels of service and capacity that we've been able to provide in the past. And so making sure we're doing that. Um, but, you know, in, in in light of everything, right, you know, doing it in, in a safe manner. Um, I think that's as every company has had to deal with. How do I how do I deal with? Um, you know, having my, my folks work remotely, um, you know, being able to maintain good communication, uh, both internally and externally, and, and execute, and in our case, uh, you know, $4 billion um, supply chain management company with, uh, you know, pretty much all of your workforce working remotely um, in, you know, in an environment where we've never done that before. And so I think we've been successful in doing that. I'm very proud of, of, of the way that our folks have executed that and, and, and maintained um, that high level of communication and, um, you know, still being able to provide that same product and um, capacity to our customers that we always have been. But, you know, then you look at the other side from an execution perspective, we have 4,000 drivers on the road. And so, uh, you know, making sure that we're keeping them safe is, has been a big focal point of us for us as well. It's, you know, um, if we don't have those drivers executing our business, um, you know, then, then, then we fall apart and, and we don't, we don't deliver on the commitments to our customers. Um, you know, and, and, and I think the other piece of that is, you know, how do you do that to, to not only service your customers and make sure our drivers are safe, but you're also talking about how do I, how do I interact with my customer in a different way at a ground level? You know, when drivers are actually pulling up to their facility, um, you know, we want to make sure that, that we're not only protecting our drivers, but we're protecting our customers and their, and their locations and their vendors. And so, um, you know, one of the things that we've implemented is uh, EBOLs, uh, which we've had a lot of customers um, start to turn on to. So, you know, it's, again, supply chain being kind of behind the curve from a, a technology perspective, but also just a, a process and way of we uh, do business. Um, you know, having paper BOLs is a pretty standard industry thing. You know, a truck driver pulls up and he hands them a piece of paper and they sign it and they hand it back. Well, there's an exchange right there um, that, that happens that, um, you know, in, in today's environment is something we want to avoid. And so um, things like EBOLs where we're able to use our tablets um, that, that our drivers have in their in, in their cabs to be able to, to, to have digital signatures um, for for paperwork and, and, and even being able to just email you know those those bill of ladings and have an electronic transfer of paperwork versus a physical transfer is is you know one of the many things that we've been focusing on to, to keep uh, you know both our drivers and our consumers um, safe. So I would say that it's uh, you know overall the the you know and, and I've seen it in our customers too the ability to allow employees to work from home to, to keep them safe um, while still continuing uh, this this ever-evolving, uh, you know, transportation uh, supply chain uh, environment has, has been really impressive to see because I think that's taken for granted, right? You know, you, you look at the dynamics and everything that's going on and how things have changed, um, and you don't realize that behind the scenes all of that is being operated from individuals that are uh, working out of their houses, um, and, you know, from drivers that are taking extra precautions that, that they never used to have to in the past. It's, it's pretty impressive to see. And especially when you start to, to look into the details, it's, uh, it, it's that much more impressive. Dan, do you have any additional thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, uh, we're one of the few industries where, where the rubber hits the road is a statement that, you know, is literal. So when you go to, either our facilities or the facilities of our customers or the retailers that we work with, you'd be unlikely to, to not see some signage that's very visible about safety. 
And that's because I think over the years, we've all recognized that the jobs that we're all talking about, the people that are running these businesses that we're all in every day, they are in high risk propositions sometimes, you know, they driving trucks, working in warehouses. Those are not jobs in general that are easy jobs. They're really hard. They're manual oftentimes, and it's a lot of work. You're exposed to a lot in your day, in a normal day. Then you add in something that is just confusing and frightening, which is this new thing that you can't see. It's dangerous. It's deadly potentially. And it's another area of safety that is just so important that we get right because uh, the teams that are working in warehouses and transportation, you know, they're important. And without them, we can't run a business. And without them, you know, it sounds trite, but without them, you're not going to eat. So, you know, when we're delivering these products, I still think of each product as, you know, every case of product has typically 12 units or something in it. And I think about, you know, the 12 units of that product is going to end up on a shelf and end up in 12 different people's houses. It's really important. So it's easy for companies to lose track of that in the broader scheme of things. But in order to make that happen, there's a whole lot of people that have to touch everything. And these days, touching things is a little scary. So uh, when we look at warehousing, which is what we were most involved with, how do you manage this warehousing situation? And there have been a whole slew of trends that have made warehousing more challenging over the past 10 years anyway. Uh, e-commerce is a big one that just made it, there's just a lot of need for warehousing because stuff that used to happen in a store now happens up the supply chain in a distribution or fulfillment center. So things were busy. And now you add this other element in of, you know, how do you train people that come into a warehouse when you used to train them with a uh, to like a buddy system almost where somebody would stand there next to them and work with them as they would learn how to do things. Well, now you have to be six feet apart when you do that. How do you supply people with all the protective equipment that they're going to need in order to run the daily business that they have to run? And that's been a unique challenge for the year. And I think now we're starting, I think we, you know, as a team, we got together just two weeks ago and we feel like, I think we've gotten a handle on this. Like we understand the things that it's not perfect clearly and everybody's got a long way to go, but we understand what it is that we're going to, the, the new environment that we have to work in to keep people safe so that they can function and they can do a good job and they can stay healthy and, you know, continue to have a good, healthy, long career. And they shouldn't have to come to work and worry about their safety. They should come in and worry about how to, you know, make businesses function better and stay healthy. So I, I feel like we're, we're there, but it was a, it's been a six month period. That's been really challenging because some of it started out with just volumes spiked like crazy in the first when everything, you know, around March and April, then part of it was just, well, how do you get used to that? At the same time that people are having to get used to a completely different standard operating procedure every day where they, you know, really have to be careful. And you have to think back that, it's already easy to forget that when you go back to March and April, <clears throat> we didn't understand it. So now we have a pretty, I mean, we still don't have a complete understanding clearly, but we have a much better understanding of what needs to happen, what doesn't need to happen. But, you know, people were scared and rightfully so that, you know, am I going to get sick if I touch this box? And I mean, I, I, I remember, you know, 
I'd leave my packages on the porch for 24 hours because I didn't want to touch them. So things like that, we're, we're now getting a better handle on, well, what is the problem? How do we deal with it? And then, okay, let's put these standard operating procedures in place. So different way to train people, different way to recruit people, uh, different way for people to be working every day, different ways to take breaks, different ways for people to eat and do really basic things. That's hard to get used to. And, you know, great that people, like as a team, we, it's amazing really. And, and the people that we work with, we're able to pull that together all while, you know, it's like changing the tires on the car while you're driving it. Like we didn't, there was no break here. Clearly this has been more volume than record volumes at the same time that, you know, a lot of the world was hiding in their houses. There were a lot of people on the front lines, not just doing their job, doing their job times two while everybody was confused and scared and, you know, some people were not available. That was challenging. Yeah. I mean, obviously volume and, and safety were huge hurdles to, to have to overcome. Uh, were those the biggest hurdles or, or were there other things that you had to key in on uh, as a team to, uh, to focus on, uh, particularly with this type of disruption, which again is unprecedented. Ryan, did you want to, start out or yeah uh, i'll jump in I, I would say you know um the, the really yeah i i think the the biggest hurdles for us um you know coming into it were, were really the unknown right we didn't know how this was going to change the supply chain um you know there was a, a lot of folks out of work right you know and and how is that gonna gonna change the way that people are purchasing and what does that mean for us as an organization and um you know we were fortunate enough to be in a very good cash position and very financially stable. Um, but a lot of other companies out there weren't in that same position. And so, you know, what, what are the ripple effects from this? And I think, you know, that still holds true today, right? You know, it's not that, that, Hey, everything is grass is, 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 is green and, and, and we're, we're on the other side of the tunnel and everything. I think we're, 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 we're certainly still very much in the midst of this. I think as a, as a, you know, a, a country and as an industry, we, we've adapted, um, and we're, we're in a much better spot than, than, than we were several months ago. But, um, you know, there's still a lot of unknowns. And I think for us, you know, it's, it's how do we, um, you know, how do we deal with, with what's in front of us right now? Um, and then, you know, couple that with, with what uh, we expect the future to bring. And I think that, you know, we accomplish that by working with our customers and trying to best understand, you know, what, what the future state is going to be from a demand perspective and a supply chain perspective. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, there's, there, there's still COVID-19 out there, right? We, we haven't found a vaccine for it yet. And, uh, um, you know, hopefully we will soon, but uh, until that happens, um, you know, all of the safety protocol that we're taking, I think, is, is you know, going to hold and, um, you know, still being able to navigate not only internally with, with individuals working from home, but also with, with our, our customers and our vendors, right? You know, and how do you maintain that communication? Um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of it, again, a lot of it and the success that we've had has, has speaks highly to the resiliency Um you know, of, uh, of our people, of our customers, of the American people, right. And, you know, and, and how we've managed through this, but, um, you know, there's still a long road ahead. I think there's, there's still a lot of, um, I, I guess hurdles that, that have been or will be created from this that, um, you know, we don't even know yet. So I, I think taking it one step at a time, but, but, but trying to, to look forward, uh, you know, 10 steps 
as well, if that makes sense. And, um, you know, how do we make sure that we're continuing to service our customer, continuing to adapt? I think for us, we see the future of supply chain continuing to evolve and being more real time, getting customers when when they want, where they want, um, more e-commerce driven. And so that's what we're investing in. Yeah, I think that, you know, what happened was it exposed some vulnerabilities probably that uh, are in any business. And so now, as to Brian's point, we're clearly not done with us. This is an ongoing challenge. The only thing that's better now, I think, from a supply chain perspective is we have a little bit of an understanding of what we're dealing with, although it still changes. There's still dislocation of equipment in, you know, just in the wrong places because things have changed so quickly. That'll start to make sense over time, probably. Um, and then uh, how do we build everything back so that it's more resilient and sustainable? Uh, and that's still all happening as we're facing the challenges. Right. Gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for some great perspective on uh, what you're seeing in the supply chain. Where can the audience go for more information? Yeah, um, you can visit our website at www.hubgroup.com or, or you know, please connect with myself or Dan on LinkedIn. We're, we're always, uh, always enjoy meeting new people and talking about uh, solutions. Excellent. Brian Mentz, Dan Sanker, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck out there. Thank you. It's good talking so to you. Inbound Logistics Magazine is the information leader in supply chain and logistics management. Start your free print and digital subscription today by visiting bit.ly slash getil. That's bit.ly slash get underscore il and stay ahead of the 3PL game. The Inbound Logistics Podcast is a production of Inbound Logistics Magazine. For the most in-depth information around logistics, transportation, and supply chain practices, get your free print and digital subscription at inboundlogistics.com slash subscribe. Connect with us via LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for the most current developments in the industry. If you'd like to leave us some feedback or have a topic you'd like to see covered in a future episode, call our dialogue line at 888-878-3247 or leave us an email at podcast at inboundlogistics.com. I'm your host, Jeff Vita. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time here on the Inbound Logistics Podcast.